This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. It is a Saturday morning, which means it is Kansas Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM and 102.5 FM KQAM. I am Andy Hoosier. Hey, good morning to you. Let's get you up and moving for a Saturday. What do you say? we got a lot to get to. It's going to be a fun program today. Legislative session 2021 all over, and we're still moving forward with some ridiculousness in the state of Kansas and around the area. We'll talk about some of that. we got a lot to talk about today so good morning welcome into it let's jump right into a candace talk here on the big talker kqam 316-721-8255 316-721-TALK if you want to join into the program we'd love to hear from you today as we have some guests but i do want to tease a few topics for you as well that you're more than welcome to call in about and chat about throughout the program as well governor still vetoing a few different things signing a few different things what's going on there a push for unemployment benefits to be ended at least for the covid additional three to four hundred dollars an extra uh, each uh, each week right here in the state of Kansas. will that be ended will governor kelly end that she said that uh, she is reviewing the information reviewing the issue and going to decide what the heck's going to happen so we'll get to that here in a little bit and get your thoughts should we be ending the covid19 unemployment benefits Kansas works sitting with a record of 45, 47,000 jobs available across the state of Kansas, but yet we can't fill jobs anywhere, even here in the local community. So we'll get to that in a little bit as well. Coming up on the show in hour number two, we have Renee Erickson, state senator. She'll be joining us to talk about her perspective of the end of the legislative session. We'll talk about the women's sports bill. We'll talk about some education funding. I know those are kind of her two uh, uh, issues and topics that she focuses on, so we'll touch on some of those coming up in hour number two. Plus, earlier this week, we interviewed the man himself, formerly with Fox News, author of the new book, Killing the Mob, Mr. Bill O'Reilly. So we'll air that interview coming up at 1030, wrapping up the program today. But this morning, for the first hour, we haven't done this in a while. It's time to get our county update. And the man himself in studio with us for the hour, Sedgwick County Commissioner, Mr. Jim Howell. How are you, sir? I'm doing really great, Andy. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, it's good to talk to you. It's been a little bit since we've had you on the program. Sure. Uh, There was some interesting news that came out of Sedgwick County earlier this week, and I've noticed there's been a trend of a lot of votes of like four to one, and you're kind of being that last man standing on these um, for whatever reason. I want to get to some of these, but the... COVID restrictions, first and foremost, that was a big vote that you guys did earlier this week in the county commission, loosening the guidelines, still recommending, but extending recommendations outside of that. Is that about it? Not not a whole lot of other enforcement right now, right? Well, we haven't had enforcement for really quite a long time, but uh, it was a, it was about um, six, or actually about seven weeks ago now that the county moved away from the mask order thanks to the legislative pressure. Uh, Rain Erickson will say thanks to her and her good work there and others. I have some great uh, some great legislators here in Kansas, but they pushed out uh, some good legislation that kind of added some pressure, which we needed, frankly. And when they did that, we moved the county towards a, a strong recommendation policy rather than a mandate. Mm. And that was about seven weeks ago. And uh, even at that time, I, I, I felt like the – the recommendation might be misunderstood, and 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 unfortunately, it was. Um, I, I I know there's lots of cities around Sedgwick County that are saying, "Well, we're going to have this policy because Sedgwick County, you know, they have got this strong recommendation. We need to follow what the county is telling us to do here." And so, it continues to be the basis for many uh, mask policies and all kinds of other uh, things that are being enforced at different places around the county. Now, let me just say, this is not required 
the county doesn't have to say anything for cities to have home rule power. They can do this on their own. Sure. But they, I think they really kind of enjoy the fact that we've got a reason why we're doing this. It kind of, it's essentially it's deflecting responsibility. And also, private businesses, much like our gun laws, private businesses can make policies for their own property, for their employees and for their visitors. And so this doesn't change what businesses can do. And so the recommendation, frankly, was unnecessary, unnecessary from the very beginning. But I was afraid it would be misunderstood, and certainly it was. And then, of course, about 10 days ago, the CDC came out with their change, kind of surprised a lot of people. They said, you know what, if you've been fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask. And I knew from the very beginning, even even six, eight months ago, we had conversations about how are we going to, how are we going to get to this point? How are we going to know who's vaccinated, who's not vaccinated? And are we going to have a policy that says that vaccinated have to act like they're not vaccinated and or the unvaccinated are going to not have any controls and we're not going to regulate them in any way. It's going to put people at, people at risk. What are we going to do? Yeah. And of course, of course the obvious answer is, Andy, let's trust our people. Right. That's what needs to happen here. And so this recommendation, once again, it's, it's, it's kind of pointless, really. It doesn't do anything other than just says, we have an opinion and here's what our opinion is. And by the way, here's an expiration date of our opinion. It makes no sense. And yeah. so we had to extend it once again. It, does, it doesn't make any sense for a recommendation like that. I mean, you can do... The same thing in another way by when you make public statements, just being like, hey, you know, you can get your vaccine or, hey, you know, we still have a mobile clinic or, hey, if you're concerned, here's a testing site, you know, and you can let people know about the resources without giving the opinion of we still strongly recommend that you actually wear the mask, social distance, getting the vaccine. Did you guys get any information from the CDC, uh, from the health department at all about why the change in policy, if you've been fully vaccinated then you don't have to wear the mask because the weeks leading up to that prior to here in just the local news, even, I mean, Dr. Mintz had talked about these quote unquote breakthrough cases where people have gotten the vaccine, even in nursing homes and long-term care facilities of these breakthrough cases of people that have been vaccinated, but yet they still tested positive for the virus and they weren't showing that many symptoms. That's a good thing, but they still got the cases. Now the government doesn't want to research why people are still getting the virus after the vaccine. And they've come out and said that we're going to limit studies on this thing. But why the change in policy? Did you guys get an explanation, or was it just here's the new policy? Unfortunately, we just don't have uh, we, we don't have that type of data coming from the county. Uh, we're kind of relying, I guess, on Dr. Fauci and the CDC. <laughs> I'm and, sorry. Uh, I would just tell you that we, you know, but again, anecdotally, I think I can I can share that we've had I think three cases now here in Sedgwick County where someone was fully vaccinated and did and did get uh, did get sick enough to be hospitalized. Mm. Um, and I think all three of those cases, the these folks did recover. They are being investigated as to what's going on. I, I mean, there's 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 a curiosity by the medical establishment trying to f- figure out what's going on with these folks. But let me just say, the vast majority of people who have been vaccinated have not gotten sick. And our hospitals, our, our numbers are still trending in a very good direction, okay? Things are improving at the hospital. Um, but it, it is noteworthy, uh, and except for these two. We had two this while in this last report. We had two people vaccinated that were in the hospital. But the rest of the folks in the hospital were not vaccinated. And so that's what I'm kind of watching right now is what, how, how does that break down? Right. Um, I know you and I are going to agree to disagree on this. I, I, I'm fine with the vaccine. I think it's okay. I, I understand people. If people don't want to get it, that's your choice. And I, and I, I support you as long as you're educated and you sure. know what you're doing. I support you. And you know what? Andy, if you get sick and you have a consequence, I'm, I might pray for you. I feel sorry for you. But it is your choice. I'm right. not your parent. Sure. I'm not your authority. I'm not your boss. I, at some point, I have to trust you to make a decision. And so... I think at the end of the day, that's where this comes down is what role does the government actually have to play here? I can tell you from my personal opinion, I think the vaccine is, is, is probably a bit, especially for if you're like me, I'm 57 years old. I'm a little bit overweight. Um, I have some comorbidity type stuff. 
for me, the risks are actually reasonably high for people like me. Worth to get the who, vaccine. So right. you know what? For me, the vaccine is, 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 is for me, it's a no brainer. I have no problem getting the vaccine. Sure. But if you're 12 years old and you're running marathons and you are you know playing soccer and running around the neighborhood riding your bike, I don't know that the vaccine makes a lot of sense in that case. I, I think the risk of the vaccine is is real. And the risk of COVID-19 for that person is very, 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 very small. Right. And so you have to make a decision based on education. So the parents, whoever that is, whoever whoever, whoever should make the decision, I trust you to make the decision. Exactly. I don't want to tell you what to do. I, I, I would say, here's your options. And if, if you're like me, you know what? I Here's my opinion. I think you should get the vaccine because you're like me. Your risks are better. Uh, your, your, your situation is probably better if you do get the vaccine. That's my opinion. Now, I am watching the hospitals, and I can tell you the numbers, I think, support what I'm telling you. Yeah. Um, the number of people in the hospitals right now has gone down, um, but the, but it is a younger group. And these are largely, except for just three cases since the last eight weeks now, um, all of them have been unvaccinated. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting to watch that. Um, but are we getting data from the county? Really, we're not. <laughs> It's really concerning, and I completely agree with you. I want certain demographics to get the vaccine. I want certain demographics to get protected. I want people to be protected in that sense, but you're right. For it, it's, There's a difference between we have the choice, and I want to make that choice. I choose not to get the vaccine. I don't think I – it's not because I don't want it. It's because I don't think I need it, and I'm not going to put unnecessary things in my body. I'm 32 years old. I'm healthy. I take the vitamins. I try to exercise. You know, I do my thing, and I'm in that category where I am literally have like a 99.5% chance of being asymptomatic if I get it. I'm not too terribly concerned about it. It's the push from um, from the health department at the state level and the county level that says we need 80% herd immunity, and the only way is to get that herd immunity is through vaccination. So, therefore, if you're not getting it, then you're just not educated. You're spreading the virus. You're vulnerable. You're a danger to society, and we need you to get that vaccine because we have to hit that 80 to 85% herd immunity, and the only way to do that is through vaccination, which is just blatantly not true. Well, I'll just tell you, the one the one person we do have in the county that uh, that – is our established expert is our doc is Dr. Menz, our health yeah. officer. And I asked, I asked that question specifically. And uh, unfortunately there's a lot of, a lot of fuzzy math behind the scenes. He's, he's speculating. We have about 50% herd immunity or immunity. It, it, it doesn't use the word herd immunity, but he'll say, you know, we're about 50% immune potentially, but that's, you know, speculating on a lot of different things. And he said, that's just not good enough. We really need to continue this a little bit longer. And my question was, well, how much longer? And what's our number? What's our threshold? Right. And they don't like that question. No, they don't. They don't really want to answer that question. And, and I'll just tell you that um, I, I don't think we're ever going to get to a number that makes him happy. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I know that the uh, there's conversations out there now saying that, you know, well, our flu season was really amazing this year. We have <laughs> almost no flu. And so we should do this mask thing every, every uh, wintertime. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, if you put – if you put these folks in charge, that's where we're going to end up. And I, I, I think that, I guess I have a different point of view. Um, I, I don't know that uh, being exposed to things that might harm your harm your body are it, it's not necessarily a bad thing because when you're a kid and you, you come in contact that. with this stuff, you actually develop your immune system. If you right. if you lived in a bubble, if you lived in outer space the first 20 years of your life and came to Earth, you probably would kill you. Yeah. Okay, because you don't have an immune system that's been developed. And I think the reality is, that having exposure to some of these things is actually good when you're when you're young and healthy and you're able to develop those antibodies. And so, I'm not concerned about COVID-19 with a, with a very young people in our in our generation. I think they uh, their their bodies are generating the antibodies, and, it, and it's good for them actually to have some exposure because that actually protects them. And um, the other way, of course, is is through a vaccine. And again, 
Uh, I'm not sure that the vaccine is better than viral infection. The one thing about viral infection is you don't want to succumb to this virus right. and die in the process or have long-term lasting effects from being from getting sick. And so we don't want we'd like to avoid that, obviously. But if, you know, if you contract the contract the virus and develop, develop antibodies and you get through it, it's not a bad situation necessarily. It's actually good because your body's doing exactly what God designed it to do. Exactly. And so I again I have this idea of faith. God, thank you for <laughs> designing my body such an amazing way. I develop antibodies when I get sick. Um, you know, I don't know that I trust these doctors um, to do to make get essentially to to uh, push this idea that they have the only solution out there, and it's basically for everybody. You know, you watch Andy; uh, they're saying ages twelve and up now. It's not going to stop there. It's going to go down to infants. Oh, That's course. where it's headed. And um, and until they get that, until the entire population has at eighty percent, and that includes babies, um, they're not really going to be happy. And then we're talking about booster shots. We're talking about derivatives and, and you know things that are slightly different and things like that. So this is almost a almost a um, uh, it's almost a god to them. And I hate to say that, but the reality is, um, y- yes, COVID nineteen is to be is to be respected. Right. It is a is it is not like the flu in many ways. is is different. It's more dangerous. And I think we've gotten through this largely. And I think we're at the point right now. We didn't understand this a year ago. We understand it now. Okay, can we can we declare we understand it? Right. Do we do we declare we we are educated people? At this point, I think the government needs to back off, and we need to start trusting our people. And that's where I think me and my my colleagues differ. In, we are different in this regard. This thing we did this last week by passing another health order again, it does nothing other than just it's like preaching to the people. It says the obvious. It says the same thing we've been saying all along. We put it in a formal resolution with an expiration date. Yeah, it's just, in my opinion, it's unnecessary, and fr- frankly, it's offensive, because it just it just tells you once again we don't really trust you that we are going to be the the authority in your life, and you're going to do this because we told you it's a good idea, and if we don't tell you that, we don't know that you're going to make the right decision. I'm sorry, I think it's ridiculous. I completely agree, and that's why, unfortunately, we're seeing a lot of four to one votes on the county commission right now with on right. on this issue, which is very unfortunate and very concerning. Let's take a break here. Twenty minutes past the hour. There's a lot that I want to get to outside of just COVID. We'll get to the vaccination stuff, businesses, as you had mentioned earlier, being able to make their own decisions on their own. What could that look like down the road? As we've talked about the vaccination cards, proof of vaccination, mask wearing, all that sort of thing. Plus, we have a caller on the line, so don't go anywhere. We'll get to you as soon as we come back here. As well, it's Candace Talk, all presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading your gold and silver with honesty and integrity. They're opening up here in about 10 minutes, open until 2, uh, 2.30 this afternoon as well. Also online at philscoins.com. It's Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker, KQAM. Stay here. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Good Saturday morning. Trying to get you up and moving for the day. we got a big show for you today. It's going to be a fun one. Should we be ending the unemployment benefits from COVID-19 in the state of Kansas? The unemployment rate nationwide has dropped dramatically, and that's after, by the way, numerous states, all Republican-run right now, have ended their COVID-19 additional benefits for unemployment, which means people are going back to work. Should we be doing that in the state of Kansas? They're using it to try to manipulate the market minimum wage and trying to give the government more control and power by blackmailing businesses, saying either raise your rates outside of the market value for that position, or we're just going to stay on the government dime and you pay through pay, pay us through the taxpayer dollars. We'll get to that here in just a little bit. Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell hanging out with us for this hour. 
And if you want to call, you can at 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. We do have a caller on the line. Let's go right to you. Good morning. Who's this? Uh, this is Frederick. Frederick, good morning, sir. Yes, good morning. Um, as of this week, and I can verify, 99.9% of all retail stores here in Wichita do not require masks. Yeah. I mean, I was in many, many, many different stores yesterday, and also in, in the southeast part of Kansas yesterday, and they didn't have any masks. It feels so, good, doesn't I it? I mean, oh, it feels good. Uh, the only problem we ever had with masks was a place called Sprouts. And they actually mm. walked up, one of the managers walked up to my wife and asked her to pull up her mask because her mask down below her nose. But other than that, uh, right now, 99.9% of all businesses do not require a mask. And you go inside and you talk to people and people are happy, people are smiling. I've had people comment to me and I've commented to other people, isn't it nice to be able to breathe? And people are saying, yes, it is. So, you know. It is and, nice. Uh, there there are a couple. There are a couple still. There's a couple large chains. I'm not going to mention their names, but there are a couple large chains around here that still do. And I've I've literally turned around and walked out, and I refused to shop there until they actually changed their policy. So uh, there there are a couple. But you're right. It's so nice to have the majority of things just open back up and just go about your business as normal. Yes, and as far as unemployment benefits, um, the ones that really need it, it's beautiful. But the ones that are just slacking off and just goofing off uh no no i don't know i'm i have mixed feelings on that the ones that really really need it the ones whose businesses have been destroyed i understand but the ones that are perfectly capable of working no no come on now i don't know it's a it's becoming a mess it is a mess and we knew it would be i mean we called this a year ago when this stuff started and we locked everything down and we said at what point are we going to have to fight because things are open back up but people don't want to get back to work because they're going to use the excuse of being scared of covid or the unemployment benefits that are going to be out that we're going to drag this out as long as possible and then we're going to see the litigation from businesses and people suing companies saying well you know what uh i don't feel comfortable working at your establishment because i fear for my life for spreading the virus or getting the virus and therefore i don't feel comfortable coming back to work yet we knew it was coming, and now we're living it right now. And we called this a year ago. Well, uh, I'm glad it's 99.9% over with, and <laughs> I'm enjoying my freedom. I'm enjoying going into stores and breathing. Uh, and, uh, uh, yes. Oh, just a side note for about 30 seconds. Uh, uh, next, next week is going to be Memorial Day. Yes. And my wife and I, we were out on a highway in southeast Kansas, and a highway patrolman pulled up behind us and turned on his lights and pulled us over. And I was saying, oh, my wife, why did you do? And this highway patrolman walked up to us and rolled, and we rolled down the window. He said, I noticed that you had a Gold Star family tag on the back of your vehicle. And I just wanted to stop you and tell you that uh, we deeply appreciate what your family has been gone through. Wow. And I thought that's wonderful. How amazing. And that's actually happened to us twice. Once it happened a year ago in Oklahoma, where an Oklahoma Highway Patrol trooper stopped us, and uh, he said the same thing to thank us. So anyway, that's just a side note. Cops are good. Uh, Highway Patrol people are good. So anyway, have a beautiful... 
I don't know whether you're going to be on next week, Andy. If not, just yep. have a beautiful week. I okay? will be. Uh, uh, Frederick, I appreciate that very much, and we will be on next weekend. We're going to have a big one, too. Alan Cobb, Candace Chamber of Commerce. We're also going to have Derek Schmidt, Attorney General, on. So it's going to be a big show next weekend, so make sure to stay tuned in for that. And a happy Memorial Day if we don't talk to you before that. Uh, Jim, I love the stories about law enforcement around here. The stories that we have from both the Wichita Police Department and Sedgwick County Sheriff's Office, I mean, uh, both of them, I mean, they're rocking it right now. You know, I'm, I'm actually very, very proud of them. We we have a, a great uh, we have great people in both of both of those departments, and I, I hear I hear great stories all the time. I know they hear negative stories very once in a while, but yeah, let's just not focus on that. The reality is we have got great people in these, and I want to say to Frederick, thank you for your family sacrifice as well. Thank you for that and for that reminder today. Amen to that. Let's take a break. Bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we'll continue. Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell will talk about some of the latest out of the county, both with the vaccinations, both with the COVID and other things as well, because there are other things going on with the county, too, as we begin to open up with summertime officially kind of sort of starting next weekend with Memorial Day. Can you believe it? We'll get to all that and more right here on Candace Talk for the Big Talker KQAM. Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on the Big Talker KQAM. Darn right you are. Welcome back into Kansas Talk here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 1025 FM KQAM. It is a Saturday morning. It's a dreary one. I had a hard time getting up and moving today. I have to admit. Now, at the same time, I'm a little sore. I was rototilling last night. You ever done that, Jim? That's a that's hard. That's hard. You got the machine and it's like wanting to take off and you gotta push it down to get into the ground and you gotta drag it and you know go through. It's uh, I got my shoulders and my back. I'm feeling it today. I got my I'm a nice city boy. workout. <laughs> See, yeah, it's it's kind of nice being away from that just a little bit. Yeah, so uh, that's a fun time, but we have to do it before the rain comes back in today uh, with the week long rainstorm that we've had here in South Central Kansas. Welcome in 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK, all presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. They're officially open right now until 2.30 this afternoon, so make sure to go and check them out. Also online at philscoins.com. We'll talk to Phil Martinez next Saturday on the program as well. Got a big show lined up for you next weekend for your Memorial Day, so I know you're probably busy. That's okay. You can download the podcast and listen to it that way as well. Cedric County Commissioner Jim Howell hanging out for another half hour with us here on the program. Before we change gears from the COVID stuff, real quickly, the state of Kansas did ban um, vaccination cards, uh, ID cards, but for public buildings, private businesses. Now the decision is if you have been fully vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. A lot of people that haven't liked to wear masks or get vaccinated also are not wearing masks. So the question is has now come about on what do we do as a business to decipher between people that have been vaccinated and are good and people that are just the dirty, filthy, unclean ones that are walking around without masks as well. What do we do? And do businesses have the right to actually ask proof of vaccination to walk in or are they going to keep their mask policies? I know as the county, you can't really tell business what to do. But have you heard from the business community? Have you guys discussed this? What's the what's the mindset right now? Thank you for the question. So I've not really um, we've not heard from the business community. I would love to hear from the Wichita Regional Chamber of Commerce and find out what they say. But and this might be a better question for Renee Erickson when, when she comes on. But I'll just say this, that uh, I do think businesses have a lot of rights. You know, they, they can require things from their employees. They can empl- they can require the employees have certain vaccinations, for example much like our schools do. And uh, we'll have to see where that ends up. I think once it gets down to age 
below age 12, which was obviously going to happen at some point. I think we're going to see conflict in our schools at some point. If you don't have proof, proof of this particular vaccination, you can't attend schools, much like they do right now with many other vaccinations. Um, but whether whether or not businesses have these rights, I think that, you know, the businesses have a lot of rights. They can control their property. They can do we can we can government can tell businesses what they can't do on their own property, but we really can't tell them what they must do on their own property. I mm-hmm. think there's a there's a it's there's um clear clear differences in those two ideas. And so whether a business can can request that or require that, I think they might they might be able to. This probably needs to be fought out in the courts, I'm guessing. But uh, you know, I know airlines right now are still requiring it. For example, they're private businesses, and then it seems yeah. to be no problem with that. They they can certainly do that. And the cruise ships are doing this now, and and on it goes. I, I, you know, whether or not whether or not uh, your grocery store can do this, honestly, I don't think they're interested. I think a few of them are kind of just holding on just a little bit to this mask policy, and this is based on the same theory, obviously. And I don't name the businesses either, but you know who I'm talking about. They're they're still they still have these policies. But they're holding on to this. Can they do that? Yeah, absolutely. They certainly can. Is it smart? No, I don't think it's smart because again, let me just say it this way: If I have a vaccine, and and I feel like I'm protected, and me and my family, we've all made this choice. Where, we're, and you don't have a vaccine, you can't hurt me. Right. So that's the theory. What's anyways, my yeah. why? Why do I care what you do? Except for you know, I might I might think to myself, you know, I wish you would think well like I do, but you don't think like I do. Therefore, um, you know what? Um, <laughs> I wish half of them would vote Republican. I know. Out there. I, I know. Mean, come on, I can't make I them do that. But the reality is, um, you know, the fact of the matter is, if, if a business you know wants to recommend it for their employees and their customers, and the people choose not to do that, it doesn't hurt those that have taken those precautions. It doesn't hurt them. You know, I love I love the analogy. I used this a lot this last Wednesday in our meeting with Dr. Minz. We were kind of debating back and forth. I said, you know, people talk about it's kind of like a seatbelt law. Actually, it's not. It's actually much more like a helmet law. We don't have a helmet law in Kansas, and I'm glad we don't have one. Right. And by the way, I may have shared this with you before, but if I decide to ride a motorcycle, which I don't, I don't have one. It sounds like fun, but if I decide to ride one, I think I'll probably wear a helmet because I I'm I assume at some point I'm probably going to get into an accident, and when I do, I probably I'm probably safer with a helmet. There's people out there that have been riding for a long time. They feel differently than I do. I might think to myself, I wish they would think like I do. And they're probably thinking to themselves, you know what? That guy is doesn't understand what I understand. I'll probably safer. And some I've heard I've heard some of them say it's actually safer without a helmet. Now I don't know if I agree with that, but my point is we can agree to disagree. Right. They're an adult. I'm an adult. I can do it my way. They can do it their way. Wish we did it's that totally with seatbelt laws too. That's right. You know, I I can I completely agree. And the reality is if I do it my way and and I get hurt or I don't get hurt, you know, I, 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 I have the consequences of my decision and they have the same consequences for their decision. Yep. The reality is we can do, we can agree to disagree and that's okay. I respect them and I trust them as a, as a citizen, and as an adult to make an educated, informed decision that they, it, it, it's really about them. And so I don't think we as government or in, ought, ought to be making these decisions for people when clearly people can make decisions for themselves. It comes down to an issue of trust. And one of the things I've realized in 10 years of being involved in, uh, in elected office now is the government doesn't trust you. And that's a problem, in my opinion. I think that right now, if I could say maybe my next motto in my next election is I trust you. Right. You know, guess what? Most people don't trust you. And the reality is that's, that's a huge problem for this country going forward. That the problem right now in this country is the government does not trust you. And you see it everywhere. Is they see and how they you know you're not allowed to, to parent your own children. You can't make decisions on your own health. 
And, and, and you can see this in all kinds of different ways. And so the reality is that's, that is a, a realization I've, I've come to over the 10 years. And I, I think that this, you can see that in these types of policies right now where the government needs to trust you, but they just don't want to. Yeah. Well, and they want to control. They're, uh, we mentioned this before. I mean, they're losing control because now the restrictions are lightening up. People are going back to business. We're not looking to the government for the answers every single day anymore. Tara scared for our life, and they don't like losing that power and control. It's kind of like the, I, I guess you can consider it as like the the, the parents with the uh, empty nest syndrome. Like, you're not coming to me for your answers anymore. You're figuring it out on yourself. Please come back to me so I can help guide you because you still don't know what you're doing. Uh, and that's kind of the mentality that we that I'm kind of feeling right now. And, you know, you see this in the young, younger generation. You ask them, what do you think about socialism or communism? They're actually fine with it. Many of them. <laughs> Here's the deal is they they think, you know, that people have too don't much money. Don't you get a free should, pizza? Come on, man. People have too much money. You should take that money away. And people who don't who have great needs, you should give them what they need. And we should, you know, it's all about fairness and we should treat everybody exactly the same. And and uh, people have no responsibility for where they are in life. It's not their fault. And the government needs to equalize all this, you know, all this stuff. And so it, they actually embrace this idea that government should get involved. And guess what? The opposite of that is capitalism, freedom, and responsibility and living with your consequences. You, you work hard, you become successful and become prosperous because of your own, own, own hard work. That's what this country was founded on. Yeah. And that right now is the enemy. And we're replacing that with socialism and communism that's being essentially embraced in our younger generation and essentially embraced by our school system. I hate to say that. It's concerning. Yeah, it that, is very concerning. I don't think our country can survive as we know it if, if, that's, if that's what this if that's that's what generation down. thinks. Because we, we were founded on the idea of hard work and personal freedom and responsibility, which are absolutely connected. You can't have freedom without responsibility. They want their freedom. Mm-hmm. They just don't want their responsibility. Sure. And unfortunately, that just can't happen. Amen to that. We try to fight that every single day on the radio. That's what we're all about. Trying, yep. trying to educate the youth here in America. Yep. That's what we're about. Let's shift gears a little bit here. Um, still kind of sort of COVID related, but let's talk budgetary issues because from the latest stimulus package at the federal level, uh, Cedric County now, how much money have we received so far because of COVID? We've already received about $109 million uh, before before this last package, which is coming out right now, which is another $100 million. Cedric County getting another $100 million. That's correct. And we already re, we've already basically spent 109 million dollars for the last round of. Uh, st- we actually had some stimulus um, from the federal government directly to Sedgwick County, but we also received, received just about nine million dollars from the state that came from the feds, and so we have 109 million total uh, that mostly had to be spent before the end of la- uh, end of last year. We still have a small amount of money that's it's kind of tied up in the process, but 109 million dollars up up to that point, and then we have another 100 million dollars coming in right now. This stimulus package actually, in many ways, is bigger because the city of Wichita is getting a like seventy million dollars. Not it goes. There's more direct. There's more direct um, spending to municipalities uh, across this entire country. Sixty-five point one billion dollars direct spending uh, given to counties for COVID, and which makes this one different, is this one is not really restricted to COVID-like things. We have a lot more freedom on how to spend this money, and we have until twenty twenty-four, and so we've got. Three years, essentially, to spend another hundred million dollars, and there's virtually, there's almost not any constraints on how we can spend it. So we've just, and again, at the at the appropriation level, at the state, you know, at the federal level, it's it's all for COVID. But in in practice, when it gets here, it's not for COVID. It's for all kinds of stuff. It's just, and here's the thing that bothers me greatly, is normally when you appropriate money, you know what the need is before you appropriate the funds. Right. That this is different. 
we're just throwing money out there because, well, you, you might need it. We assume you have a tax revenue problem. We assume you've got problems that this money is going to go and help that. The reality is our tax revenues are up. Believe it or not, we actually have more sales tax revenue and more property tax revenue. Our, rail, our revenues are up. Our labor, we have labor challenges, but you know where that came from? It didn't come from COVID. Well, it did in a roundabout way because the government, frankly, upset the balance of our labor market. Right. Yeah, we have a labor problem now, and we're going to have to probably use this money to enhance our salaries to get people to, to actually come to work. The problem is, what happens after 2024? Hmm. We're going to, we have an unsustainable salary expectation. That's going to be a tax increase. So this, this whole thing is forcing us down a path. Completely it's, upset it's the market. Completely upside, upset this entire market of, of labor because the federal government, frankly, thinks they're helping. But, you know, many times government help is disguised as help. But in the end of the day, it's not help. It's actually harm. And uh, this is another one of those things where I know people think, oh, yeah, let's, let's just let's, we love it. We want this money so bad. But the reality is we, it is setting us up for bad things down the road. And I wish this entire country would, frankly, reject this money. But here we're not going to do that. <clears throat> so let's be clear. So we have. So you guys had 109 million dollars yes. over the last year. The latest COVID 19 bill that just passed in January from Joe Biden um, is now giving you another 100 million dollars to spend between now and 2024 with no restrictions on it. Under the name of we still have two trillion dollars sitting there, we need to figure out what to use it for. Just handing you a blank check and saying spend it however you want to in the name of fighting COVID in your community. I mean, there are some there are some guidances, but it's, it's essentially it's not restricted like the first round of money, and not in any way. You know, the first one hundred nine million dollars we had before went to testing. We set up a test lab, PPE. We had nurses and doctors. We had, I mean, it, it was it was directed towards nursing homes, and it was direct, and a lot of the money actually went out towards businesses. Okay, sure. so it was money directed towards trying to manage the pressure of the pandemic in the middle of the pandemic. But again, I hate to, I don't want to declare, I don't want, I don't want to spike the football just yet. But I feel like we're on the 99-yard line right now, and we don't have another $2 trillion problem in this country at this point. We need to back off as a government and let, let the economy get rebalanced again. But by continuing to infuse this type of money into government and into local government spending, it is still upsetting this, this balance. And, and the consequence of this is going to be felt for decades, 20 years. Sure. The inflation we're seeing right now, everybody sees the inflation. It'll take decades for this to settle back down. This is not good for this country. No. And so uh, I hate to hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this is bad government. <laughs> you know, but you know what's funny to me is the people I work with, not saying, I don't want to name names, of course, but they look at this as like, this is great, $100 million. This is wonderful. And I'm thinking to myself, it, it saddens me. I actually wrote a little bit of a, uh, it's on my Facebook page if you want to go find it. I, I think we're spending like a drunken sailor. We have no idea where we're, we're getting money. We're just spending it because we can and that's not the rest, not good government. We should identify the needs first, appropriate the money second, and be you know be conservative in how we spend it and be accountable to the people, make sure that money's doing what it was designed to do. Let's not create expect expectations for bigger and more government. But this does none of those things. This is exactly the opposite. We have no needs identified. We're going to get the money first. We're going to find ways to spend the money. And many times we're going to create more government and more expectations for more spending down the road. And And it continues to upset the the balance of the economy as it, as we do this, in the end of the day, this is going to be felt for decades. Yeah. 
I hate to. It's just. It's just. It saddens me, frankly. It really does. I mean, the fact that you guys are getting. I mean, obviously, the state government's getting a lot of money as well. You guys are getting this money as we talk about the ending of potential COVID nineteen unemployment benefits. I mean, is that going to help the market here? Are we going to get people back to work? I mean, what's what's going to happen economy wise here? I'll tell you what. That the unemployment benefits in Kansas have always. I was when I was in the state house. We actually made this policy that says if the unemployment rate hits a certain threshold. We actually lower the number of weeks of, of benefit available. Right. And, and also, we instituted this idea of a random drug tra- drug test. If you get picked for a drug test and you're getting benefits, and I'm not sure what that is right now, policy-wise. I may have lost track of that, but maybe there there may be some drug testing requirements for, for those type of benefits at this point. Uh, I, may, I may have that confused with SNAP as well. But nevertheless, there's limits on how much money can be handed out uh, in Kansas, and, and I think that's good policy. We want to We want to... If someone's truly needy and they have a long-term problem, they can they can validate that, and that will, those helps will be there long-term. But if someone simply is an able-bodied adult and, and should be working, uh, when they're in, when they get in the situation, we shouldn't give them a uh, a crutch to lean on for the rest of their lives. We need to get them a little bit of help and some encouragement and, and get them back in the workforce. And that's what this is supposed to do. This three hundred dollars a month that continues on in Kansas a week. is actually I'm sorry yeah. a week. Oh man. <laughs> this is killing. This is killing the labor market. Yeah, I'm just telling you right now. We have got problems in the private sector and in the government sector trying to find people who are willing to come to work for what we can afford to pay. And again, so you say, well, we should just pay them more. Well, get, we don't have money we're sitting on that doesn't come from you. Right. This is the people's money. So if we have to pay our employees more money, there's going to be a tax increase that backs that up. Or we got to find some ways to rearrange our budget, which means we can't do what we're doing now. We've got to stop doing some things and focus that money on other things. It's, this is a challenge. And so I don't know how we, I don't know where this, I don't know where this ends up, but dang it, this $300 a week is making things much harder between and we that, need to stop it. Yeah. Between that and the free money from the government that you guys are getting, I mean, with all the money coming in from the feds, I mean, this is, I've talked about it throughout the national show during the week. It's the conditioning that we're seeing every single day to try and get you ready for that universal basic income. Got the loans, uh, phones lit, lit up across the board right now. Good. So let's take a break. When we come back, we'll take your phone calls. Don't go anywhere. We'll get your phone calls, get your thoughts on all this and more. As we talk about the latest here in Sedgwick County with COVID-19, the budget, free money from the federal government with all those stimulus paychecks, all coming up right here on Candace Talk on the Big Talker KQAM. Welcome back into the program. Seven minutes to the top of the hour. It goes by way too fast. Hour number one just about done. Hour two, State Senator Renee Erickson will have her on the program. Plus, we'll play our interview with the man himself, Bill O'Reilly. We had him on the program later on uh, earlier during the week, so we'll play that interview to wrap up the show today as well. Right now, Central County Commissioner Jim Howland for a few more minutes, and the phones are lit up across the board. So let's jump right into them, shall we? Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Hey, Andy, it's Sean. Sean, what's going on, sir? How we doing? Oh, doing great. Hey, listen, it's my understanding that, well, the last I heard, 19 Republican-controlled states have gotten rid of unemployment checks. Yes. Okay? Yes. And, the, and, and shockingly, unemployment rates have gone down in those states that have ended that those benefits. Yeah, and they want to get rid of a... They want to do the same thing here, even though we got a Democrat governor. Republicans want to do the same thing here, right? Correct. So my question is, does this mean I don't get my $2 million infrastructure check? (laughs) (laughs) That is the question. That is the question. Are we still going to get our infrastructure or the American families check? Because, I mean, come on, we're just going to give the money out for, you know, uh, tuition. 
from college and we're just going to give you that universal basic income. I mean, we're just, we we got to give you money all over the board. That's what $6 trillion now right. the Biden administration wants to spend. Yeah. Yeah. Sean, I appreciate that. I want to get some more phone calls here before we have to wrap up, but uh, appreciate that. You're right. I mean, uh, there's going to be more money coming in. Plus the child tax credit that starts with that automatic deposit into your account starting in July, uh, July 15th, I believe is the first one. So if you have kids, you're going to get that money from here on out, which means that conditioning for that universal basic income. Line number two, let's go to it here, shall we? Good morning. Who's this? This is David. Andy, how are you doing? David, what's going on, sir? Uh, first of all, hey, I want to uh, say thank you to uh, Jim Howe there, man. When all this started last year and all that, you know, infighting at the Cedric uh, County Commission, he was the one that stood up for, you know, people that wanted to do, if they wanted to wear a mask, wear a mask. If they didn't, fine. You know, so I applaud you, Mr. Howe, for, you know, standing up for the uh, people of the community that, you know, believed in, you know, what was going on, you know, what was really going on. Now, as far as what you're saying about the federal relief that, say, comes as, you know, is um, COVID relief, but it actually, you know, our government, our state and local governments using it elsewhere, is there a way for the county commission to act like a, enact like a commission to oversee to make sure that those funds are going exactly what they're for, you know, for the COVID relief? Well, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I mean, what do we plan on using for that money? I know that other counties and commissions and other states have even just used it for infrastructure to repair bridges or roads or highways, which isn't COVID relief. So, I mean, are we going to try to allot this to, I don't know, because COVID's almost over now. So what are we going to use well, this I, for? What I what I think that the, the two things I'm hearing right now that seem to be bubbled up to the to the top of the list of discussion is, is uh, basically high-speed internet for western Sedgwick County. They want to be able to put some infrastructure out there. And the, and the argument is, well, they had to do virtual school, they had to do virtual work, and they need better you know, connection. So there's a, there's a connection to COVID, but really what it is is laying a whole lot of... It's a broadband. You know, uh, you know some type of infrastructure yeah. out that way. <laughs> I don't know exactly how it's going to get done, but that's going to be a lot of money potentially. And the second one, of, of course, this community has been talking about mental health campus for a long time. And you might say, well, the mental health, you know, has, has certainly been impacted by COVID. Therefore, we need to have greater resources. We're going to spend millions of dollars potentially to uh, develop, if you will, a, a mental health campus. We need to invest the money in the building and probably uh, setting up the operations of a mental health campus. I don't disagree with that. The question I've got is, um, is this what the money should be used for? You know, I, I well, in the long term, if this funding term. ends in 2024, then what are we going to do with those facilities after that money comes in from the right. federal government? Now we have to pick up the tab, you know, four years, five years down the road. Are we going to have to raise taxes dramatically to fund a whole new multi-million dollar department from the county? And uh, but, but and, and I totally agree, Andy. And, and to David's point, uh, the reality is the commission can do a lot of things, but we do have to have three people to agree. And right now it seems like that uh, – <laughs> It's usually going to be four of them and one of me. So whatever I guess the other four want, they can do whatever whatever they like. Well, I, I will say this: maybe we can uh, hurry up and raise cigarette taxes before twenty twenty four. Because if uh, Joe Biden has his way, they'll outlaw cigarettes by then, so we won't be able to tax. You know, no more tobacco tax. So we better tax it while we can. You know, I'm still waiting on my federal tax return. I've never even got one round of the uh, stimulus. But I've been fortunate enough to uh, work the whole time, so I wasn't in needing that crutch. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I was, hey, they need to cut that uh, un- extra unemployment out now, not later, yeah. now, because it's not, nobody's going to want to go back to work. 
Yeah, right? yeah we're already but, seeing uh, it. We're already seeing it. Yeah. I appreciate you taking my call, Andy, man. You stay safe. Tell the wife and uh, daughter I said hello, and you guys, uh, God bless you, and have a good day. Hey, appreciate that very much, David. You have a good one. We appreciate the phone call very much. No, you're right. I mean, it's uh, the, that stuff needs to end now, and I am concerned about the long-term expansion after we do these expansions, how we're going to be able to upkeep this stuff later. But again, then we'll come back and say, well, we can't fund the stuff government. We need more help. Right. Is that what's going to happen? I don't know. The Lone Ranger, Jim Howell. I'm going to call you that from now on. The Lone Ranger (laughs) on the county commission. The 41 votes left and right. Thank you for keep fighting, even though you're outnumbered right now. It's unfortunate, and I'm sure it's frustrating up there, but we appreciate what you do. Thank you, Andy. I sure appreciate the support. Hey, Always a good time. We'll get you back on the show again real soon. We'll wrap up hour number one, hour two, right around the corner. State Senator Renee Erickson will talk about the women's sports bill in the state legislature that did not get overridden after the governor's veto. Plus, we'll talk about uh, some budget stuff. We'll talk about education stuff. We have a lot to get to with her, and we'll play our interview with the man himself, Bill O'Reilly. All right here for hour number two of Kansas Talk here on The Big Talker, KQAM. Lots more coming up. Stay here. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on The Big Talker, KQAM. Goes by so fast. One hour down, one hour to go right here on Kansas Talk for a Saturday morning here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM and 1025 FM KQAM. Rocking it, trying to get you up and moving for a Saturday morning. Thanks for hanging out with us today. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the program, we'd love to hear from you on the show today. We got some time for you to call in. Thanks again to Jim Howell, Sedgwick County Commissioner, coming on the program last hour as well. It was a great chat talking about some county issues and moving forward with some of the COVID shenanigans here in the community. We'll uh, continue some of those conversations in just a little bit. All of it presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. All your buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. Make sure to check out Phil's Coins. They are open right now until 2.30 this afternoon. Also during the week, also online at Phil's Coins. I want to shift gears a little bit. As you know, a couple weeks ago was the ending of the state legislative session of 2021. We've still had the governor coming out and signing a few things, vetoing a few things, kind of doing her deal on her own time. But the legislators are essentially done uh, for the session. It was overall, I thought, an amazing session compared to what we've seen in previous years. We've had more conservatives. We had more Republicans. We voted actually unified as an entire Republican House majority on certain bills. It was great. I I know. I know. It was pretty wild. So that's exciting. But how we recapped you last week, we had Senate President Ty Masterson along with House Majority Leader Dan Hawkins on at the same time in studio for an hour recapping the session. And there's so much to talk about. We're going to continue this on for a few weeks to get little tidbits from different committees, different topics going on from the legislative session. So I'm excited to have on the program as we continue with our legislative recap of 2021. We love having her on the program talking about numerous different things from Senate District Number 30. It's State Senator Renee Erickson. Renee, how are you today? Hey, I'm great. Good to talk with you, Andy. Yeah, it's always good to chat with you. And how's it feel now that the session's done? It was kind of a chaotic one this year, wasn't it? (laughs) It absolutely was. You know, um, when I looked at at the number of bills that were passed by both chambers, it was 769, which is incredible. We hit the ground running um, 
we, we voted on our first bill within the first week in the Senate, which is unheard of. But we got cut short last year. We didn't know if we were going to be sent home this year. So, I mean, we did, we did some work, and I'm very proud overall of the work that we got done. Yeah, you guys did some really great stuff. Unfortunately, not all of it went through after the governor's veto uh, with some of the education I want to get to and uh, some of the other bills. But overall, I mean, you guys did a really great – and we were able to override a lot of the governor's vetoes on some stuff as well. Boy, by the end of the session, did you see a change maybe in the governor's habits of what she was doing between the beginning of the session, maybe a hardliner to realizing at the end that maybe she needs to work with you guys a little bit more because she's outnumbered, or did she try and stand firm for most of the session? Well, I'll let her actions speak for themselves. You know, um, she vetoed the most bills um, in two decades of any governor. So um, fortunately, I think much to her surprise, we were able to override a lot of those. And that's due to the hard work and support of your listeners and the people of Kansas who said, no, we, we need to have a change and we want some conservative legislation. And uh, their, their hard work and support was not in vain. We delivered. We will continue to deliver next session. And when we have a Republican governor, we are going to go all out and, and do what's best for Kansas. Yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. There's a lot of work that I know is going to be addressed next session that you guys didn't quite get to this year. Uh, but one of them was a little unfortunate. It was a, it became a maybe a bigger thing than what it needed to this year. But the women's sports bill, and I know you guys, we've had you on to talk about that bill quite a bit and, and talk about the importance of that in Kansas. We got the pushback from the NCAA. We got pushback from the Democrats, obviously. Uh, but it was an interesting bill. Bill, the governor did veto that one. Didn't we were one vote short in the state Senate to override that veto? That hurts a little bit. I think that one really that one kind of was unfortunate. You know, first of all, it's unfortunate that we even have to have legislation that should be common sense. Yeah. Um, but but we do, and that's sad. But it's even sadder that we have 29 Republicans in the Senate and we were one vote short on that. But, Andy, the, the one thing is the big pushback was it's going to hurt us economically because the NCAA is going to boycott us and not have events here. But this week, the NCAA came out and rolled that back. They're having events in Arkansas, Alabama, and they have said, you know, we've reconsidered. We are not going to boycott those states that have this legislation. So um, that takes away that argument. So it'll be... Um, very interesting to see the argument going forward because we're not going to give up on this. Our girls deserve the opportunities that boys have, and we will keep fighting until we make sure those protections are in place. So let me get this straight. The weak threat that the NCAA used of we're not going to hold tournaments and hold championships and hold games in states that are bigoted because you don't like you know trans individuals or whatever their claim is, that was so weak-minded that as soon as you guys dropped it, they're already holding games in states that they said that they didn't like those legisl pieces of legislation. Absolutely. And wow. they came out with a state to that effect. Yes. <laughs> Shocker. Is that a bill that's going to come back, do you think, next year in the legislative session? Are we going to hold on to that for a couple of years until we hopefully have a Republican governor? I mean, or is this one just completely dead for now? You know, I hope we bring it back. I don't know. Um, I haven't visited with leadership specifically about that, but I hope we bring it back. I think the vast majority of Kansans want this bill. Um, and 
if she wants to veto it again and Republicans want to make bad votes on it, then let's make them do so. Yeah, let's make it happen. I love it. Let's shift gears a little bit to education and the children. I know we had a couple different really good pieces of legislation, I think, this year about education, not only with some new programs for financial literacy, for a civics test and for a gun uh, education course as well. I mean, come on. Who the heck vetoes Eddie the Eagle? But that's where we're at today with the Democrat Party, which just boggles my mind. But I was really upset to see the civics test and the financial literacy test didn't go anywhere either, saying that we should that the uh, school board of education is supposed to make those decisions. And if you would have brought it to them, they probably would have approved it. I don't see that actually happening, but I would love to see a financial literacy test. To me, that's just kind of common sense. Oh, Andy, I taught personal finance in in high schools for um, seven years, and I can tell you it is much needed. No one disagrees that it's essential that students have those skills. It's a matter of you can't tell us, the legislature can't tell us what we should do, even though it's good for kids. Well, then just do it. The civics test, I think that that was a common sense. We know that students and even a lot of adults don't have a good understanding of civics, and the the test was based on the naturalization test that we give people who want to come here and be U.S. citizens. I don't think it's expecting too much for our high school students to have to be able to show they have a basic understanding of civics in order to graduate, but the governor did veto it. Um, This conversation has been ongoing around these two areas for a long time. If the state board would just do the right thing by those kids and put those in place, um, the legislature would be happy. Yeah, I mean, if they say, well, we're open to it if you just present it to us, but you can't tell us what to do and what to make as a curriculum, then why don't they just do it? Why haven't they implemented a mandatory financial literacy class to learn about, gee, I don't know, not getting into massive amounts of debt or how to hold a savings account or how to use a checking account or credit cards aren't the best thing in the world or taking out $100,000 worth of student loans? Why don't we have a class mandated telling high school kids about personal finance? It doesn't make any sense to me. No, so I would encourage people to ask their state board of education member, you know, why we want this. We want our kids to have this basic knowledge. So please put in a graduation requirement for that. It is in a lot of schools as an elective, but this this needs to be implemented. Um, We've seen the trouble that students get in. They go to college and they're bombarded with credit card applications. They get themselves into a hole and they didn't understand. So Um, It would go a long way toward helping those kids get on solid footing when they leave high school, and I just think it's a common-sense thing to do. Yeah, amen to that. Let's shift gears to the financial part of education. You guys did propose a bill this year for the the education savings account for individuals and for students to be able to take it to whatever school they wanted to, a charter school, a magnet school, a private school, a different public school, uh, because we want to make sure that there's competition in the education market and the ability for children to go to the best school possible. I loved the fact that we presented this because that's a very radical, quote-unquote, position with the Kansas Supreme Court that's very pretty much owned by the teachers' unions and by the school boards uh, across the state. Uh, Unfortunately, obviously, it didn't go anywhere, but is that still on the block to potentially present again next year? Andy, I'm going to tell you that educational savings accounts will be in Kansas. It's just a matter of when. We were, um, I'm very proud of the policy that we got passed around education. Unfortunately, the ESAs were pulled out during conference committee. 
Um, we knew that that was going to be a big lift, um, but we did get tax credit scholarship program expanded. We got some great policy pieces in place. We did not get educational savings account, but I think with COVID and what parents have experienced through remote learning, there's more of an appetite for differing opportunities for education. Educational savings accounts are a big part of that, and I'm confident we will get that done. It's just a question of when. That would be really nice. I love that idea. Now, would that also be able to expand homeschooling as well? I mean, for example, my little one, she's been doing virtual classes, you know, for a six-year-old, which is very, very difficult. We've talked about just doing the homeschooling because that's essentially what we're doing right now. I think a lot of parents are doing that. And as uh, I, I saw the story last week of the Wichita School District doing a little bit of panicking because student enrollment is down and they're concerned about re-enrollment for next year. Right. Parents have, um, you know, had their opportunities expanded, although not as much as we would like, because really the fund should be going to educate students, whatever setting that may be. And parents should be able to make the choice of what works best for their child. And so that's the whole idea behind, you know, educational choice and educational savings accounts. And overall, uh, statewide, we were down almost 18,000 students in enrollment in our public schools. So there is concern. Are those students coming back or are they happy with the alternatives that they found outside of the public school system? I think that remains to be seen. Yeah, I love it. Last question before we let you go, State Senator Renee Erickson. Let's talk about the COVID-19 ID vaccination cards, because I know you guys banned that when you did pass legislation to ban that in public buildings. Has there been talks at the state level? Have you heard? I mean, what's the next step now for businesses and private individuals to decide on how who to let into their stores? Uh, now that we don't have to wear masks if you've been fully vaccinated with CDC guidelines, but yet trying to decipher between those and the extremely unclean, unfil- you know, filthy individuals that don't wear masks or get vaccinated, uh, do businesses have the right to show vaccination cards or try and prove vaccination for their customers? Or where do you think that conversation is going to go in the state of Kansas? You know, Andy, that is a great question. We did in the omnibus bill, we did put in that government agencies cannot require vaccination passports or any proof, but private businesses, that's a whole nother ball game. And I'm a free market person. I believe in free market. I, I don't like government dictating what businesses can or cannot do. But there's also the consideration of individual liberty and freedom. Yeah. Um, there's also the legality of it, and, and these are huge conversations going on right now. I don't know where that will settle, but you can bet that that will be um, a major topic that will be discussed going forward next session. Yeah, it's going to be a big discussion. I mean, do you see a lot of litigation coming out of that over the next year or so? I do. Honestly, I do. You know, the chambers are um, fighting any kind of restriction on business. I understand that that's been their philosophy, but but I think the flip side of that is, you know, as an individual, our country's founded on individual rights and liberties. Yep. So we'll see which, how that balances out the scales of that. It's going to be tough, but the legality of it, I think, is going to get pretty messy. There it is, State Senator Renee Erickson, District Number 30. We appreciate it. It's been a heck of a legislative session. You can take a breath now and get ready for next year, which next year is going to be a fun one as well going into a midterm election. So we'll see how many of those that were a little bit uh, uh, strong-headed this year may kind of bend a little bit next year to be a little more loosey going into an election season. So keep up the fight. We love what you're doing. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Let's get you back on again here real soon. 
Thanks, Andy. Yeah, it'll be interesting, so stay tuned. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. We always appreciate that. Renee Erickson, State Senator here in the state of Kansas in the Wichita area. We'll take a break. We'll get your phone calls. When we come back, we'll wrap up with Bill O'Reilly as well to wrap up the program here for a Saturday on Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker KQAM. Four minutes past the hour. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker. 1480 AM, 1025 FM, KQAM. Getting you up and moving. Joe Pags live with the weekend coming up in just a little bit here on the KQAM Airwaves. Make sure to stay tuned in for that one. We have a big lineup for you as well on the Voice of Reason throughout the week. Weekdays at 4 p.m. live right here on the KQAM Airwaves. We are all over. We're on six or seven radio stations, a TV network, the live streaming, podcasting all over the place. Make sure but we are the flagship right here on KQAM. You can hear us live right here at 4 p.m. every day from the KQAM studios, and it's awesome to be rocking that one. Open lines to you for a few minutes at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK on any of the conversations we've had so far this morning. Sedgwick County Commissioner Jim Howell plus State Senator Renee Erickson. My big question and the big news of this week, at least to me, has been will Governor Laura Kelly end the additional COVID-19 uh, unemployment benefits, the additional $300 a week. Will they end them here in the state of Kansas? She said originally, and she said it just semi-recently, that she's going to continue them on until they expire in September. We're going into the busiest part of the year, summertime, spring and summertime that's going on right now. Businesses are opening up. People are going to be outdoors. People are going to be socializing. People are going to be going out and doing things, especially this year. I think it's going to be even bigger than any other year because we had a year of not being allowed to do that with COVID last year. So now we're going to see an additional pent-up energy of people wanting to go out and do a bunch of stuff and be uh, go out to concerts and go out to festivals and go shopping and walk the strip and just enjoy and go out to bars, restaurants, and nightclubs and just enjoy. Now, they can't because they're not quite open yet because businesses can't hire back individuals. Now, you know the deeper meaning here. Let's unveil the layers of the onion a little bit more, right? You know what they're trying to do. You know it. They're trying to manipulate the market to force higher wages outside of what the value of those jobs actually are in the market by saying, no, we're not coming back to work until you raise your rates and I can actually make more money working than I am sitting at home. And the government knew that, which is why they extended these unemployment benefits. While things were starting to open up, they extended them through September. The purpose is, is that if people refuse to go back to work, this is the great reset that's happening because they want to create higher wage jobs and force that $15 an hour minimum wage. They haven't been able to force it at the federal level. They haven't been able to get that through legislation in in most states. There's one or two that have been able to. So they're going to do it by manipulating the market. Sorry, you don't need to go to work. You just need to sit home and collect that unemployment benefits right now from the federal government and your state unemployment benefits as well. You can be making some decent money that way. Well, at the same time, Candace Works has a record number of jobs available across the state. And I'm sorry if you're able to work in any way, shape, or form. A lot of jobs are working from home right now. You don't even have to get out of your sweatpants and you can work. You can work at call centers. You can work on tech stuff and computer stuff. If you can't do that, then maybe you do need to go to work and, you know, do what you did before with the busing tablers or flipping burgers or whatever. Andy, it doesn't pay the bills and it's not enough. Then work two jobs. I mean, most people have been able to do it. Most people have had to do that because you do what you have to to take care of the family and pay the bills. And, you know, it's it's sad. It's devastating 
that we've had so many businesses shut their doors over the last year because of COVID that the government just doesn't care about. You were you were not essential, so therefore, oh, well, sorry, you just had to shut your doors because, well, we just don't really care, but now we're just going to let you sit on the government time. I, I, I just couldn't do that. I've worked two or three jobs at a time before, and that's what I had to do to pay bills or to take care of the family, and I just don't care. And I would rather do that for me, morally, just my conscience. It would not let me sit there and be like, I'm just getting a paycheck from the government before I have to go back to work. I, I couldn't do it. I've never accepted unemployment benefits. I've never tried to get them. I just, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. No, if obviously someone was on it before because they have a disability, that's a completely different story. Don't try to say Andy and the evil conservative talk radio host just doesn't care about people and he just wants people to work and he just doesn't care about all the uh, you know uh, special things that they have going on in their life that won't allow them to do so. That's not it. If you're able to work and you were working before, you need to be working. No matter what the job is, even if it's not in your industry that you were working before, even if it's not the wage that you were making before, you need to go back to work. To, I know it, is that a, it's a tough love kind of thing, isn't it? It's not harsh. It's not evil. It's not mean, is it? You just need to go back to work now. Just stop collecting the government check because you're still paying for it just through your taxpayer money. And I just don't like that. And with record number of jobs available here in Kansas, numerous states across the nation have done it and ended the benefits. And guess what? Their un- unemployment rates are going down while still the government and the Treasury Department's like, we're not completely convinced that that's the reason why we have a labor shortage. That's their intention is to manipulate the market, raise the wages, force wages to be raised, create new departments, create new jobs, whatever it is that they want to do. So that way it inflates everything. We already have massive inflation already, and it's going to continue to go up the more money we spend, which they just don't care. And the state of Kansas is reaping in that. The government's love, the state government's loving getting all that money. The county getting essentially a blank $100 million check and say, do what you want to with it for COVID response, quote unquote. If you need to pave that road, that's for COVID. If you need to create another agency in your government, that's for COVID. If you need to build a new bridge, that's for COVID. Do whatever you want to with it because why the heck not? We have the money that we promised we were going to spend on COVID. We don't know where else to put it. So here's some free money. Again, manipulating the local economies. It's kind of upsetting. Lots more coming up right here on Kansas Talk. Stay here. Talk with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into Candace Talk right here on the Big Talker, 1480 AM, 102.5 FM KQAM, a Saturday morning here, last half hour of the program, which means open lines to you at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join in, all presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. About the only guy in the entire region, not just the state of Kansas, not just South Central Kansas, but the region that really has silver on hand because of the high demand right now. So if you need silver, if you want silver, if you have questions about silver or gold, make sure to head to Phil's Coins. Also online at philscoins.com. I love this headline I saw this week as well about tuition costs at Kansas University is expected to remain flat in the coming school year. 
Now, the universities don't like that. They love to raise their tuition rates because, remember, they're government-funded, So, which means they can charge whatever they want to. And if you want to go to the prestigious university of said whatever it may be, then you just need to pay whatever that rate is. And the university uh, teachers and professors get their tenure, and they get to change their books. So you get to pay $500 for your books for a semester. And the tuition rates, even though enrollment's going down, they don't say, well, gee, there's less students at our university. Let's go ahead and just cut a department or cut our spending so that way it's affordable for students to actually go to. No, they say, well, there's less students here utilizing our resources. We might as well just raise the rates on them so that way we can continue with the same amount of money that we get. We get $100 million for this professor. We get a $1 million for this professor. Why not? Because that's the way the government works. That's You want to see how government functions? Just look at a state a, a, a state university, a government-funded, subsidized university. They don't say, wow, our enrollment dropped by 10% this year. Our enrollment dropped by 30% this year because of COVID. Whatever it was, let's go ahead and lower prices or cut spending to try and incentivize people to come up. They say, no, sorry, we're just going to raise rates. But that's big news. They're doing you a favor. Remember, you need to be thanking them. When they say it's going to be flat, the cost of the state university is expected to remain flat in the coming school year. We should be thanking them. We should be groveling at their feet because they did not raise the race because they're looking out for you. They held on and they talked about their budgets that they're having and a really tight budget and a fiscal. They don't know what to do. They're struggling right now. Now, they make multiple hundreds of millions of dollars based on their university athletics that usually helps fund the school and their programs and everything else as well. So you can have a $30 million contract for, you know, coaches and stuff. But by golly, we don't have enough money to educate the kids. So but we're going to do you a favor and not raise your rates this year and make sure that it's going to be flat for new kids coming in next year, because we really hope our enrollment comes back up next year. That's going to be great. It's going to be swell. And we're doing you a favor by not raising that rate, because usually we just raise that rate every single year. That's the world of government education right there for you. 316-721-8255. All right, I want to shift gears a little bit. Hold on here. Let me scoot across the studio. Uh, So over the week, uh, earlier this week, we had the man on from formerly from Fox News. He's on uh, America First Network, I believe, now. Also has his radio program, the O'Reilly Report, 15-minute daily reports. We air on KQAM here weekdays at noon right there at the high noon. You can listen to that one. And his latest book, Killing the Mob, Mr. Bill O'Reilly, we had on the program earlier this week on The Voice of Reason, and this is what he had to say. Bill, how are you, my friend? I'm fine, Andy. How are you doing out there? I am living the dream, and I appreciate you coming on the program very much. It's great to talk to you. And this is a fascinating book, Killing the Mob. I've always been curious on how deep and entrenched the mob, the mafia, goes into American politics and history. I mean, you hear about the culture down in Mexico, and you hear about the cartels, and as much as I love like mariachi music myself, that all the music, all the culture, all the all the movies, everything's done by the cartel and what's approved and not approved. And my question has always been, has the mob and the mafia always had that much influence in American politics and culture as well? Well, killing the mob takes us from the 1930s when in Kansas, uh, bank robbers were run a wild. You remember John Dillinger, Bonnie and Clyde, Babyface Nelson, Pretty Boy Floyd, all of them. And we begin the book there because that led to the rise of the FBI. So President Roosevelt said, we got to get these guys out of here. They're still stealing millions of dollars. And so that was the first time where the federal government basically declared war on criminality. Mm. After World War II, the mafia from Sicily 
dominated America from 1946 to 1961, unchecked. They controlled showbiz, movies, records, unions, Las Vegas, Cuba, gambling, you name it, they controlled it. And it wasn't until Bobby Kennedy came in in 61 as attorney general that the federal government even began investigating them. So I would say that the mob reaches apex of power in those 16 years, uh, 15 years from 46 to 61. How did they get to power so quickly like that? And I want you to talk about the story about World War II as well and how they kind of came over, because I think that's a fascinating story as well. But in 16 years, they go from coming to the country and then dominating culture, dominating the country. How did they do such a thing? Well, because nobody knew about it. So I wrote the book Killing Patton, sold millions of copies, and I didn't know, even after researching that, that George Patton in North Africa was dependent upon the mafia in Sicily to invade that island. And the deal was made by President Roosevelt that if the uh, Sicilian mob helped the United States and Britain get onto Sicily, because the Germans were occupying, and it went the Allies' way, that after the war, there would be some gentlemen admitted to the USA from Sicily. It's exactly what happened. And once they showed up in New York and Philly, they divided into families, just like the Godfather, and they controlled the unions. Once you control the unions, Andy, you can get anything done. Mm-hmm. You can bribe people. You can build entire cities like Las Vegas. You can run the film industry. The unions were the key, and the mafia took them over. And it is an amazing story. You know, Killing the Mob, first two weeks, has sold almost 200,000 copies. And I'm not making anybody an offer they can't refuse. It's, you know, the book is just there. You're going to like it. But that's, there's a tremendous interest in the subject because it's never really been done the way we do it. This is the 10th killing book, as you may know. Yeah. The most successful nonfiction book series of all time. It's amazing. And to learn kind of the strings that pulled, you know, the politics, the culture, everything behind the scenes for so long. I mean, now, do they still have their hands into Vegas is what it used to be? Because, I mean, you watch movies like Casino uh, where they used to control it. Now it's so family and PG and is kind of mainstreamed where I don't know that they have as much of an influence out there, do they? Well, organized crime now is corporate and they have a lot of legitimate businesses. So they may have a piece of the, some of the hotels out there in the Strip. They may be investors in that, but they don't run it the way they used to do it. It's a whole different deal now. Today, organized crime makes most of its money on selling narcotics, but they don't sell it. They just supervise it and distribute it all over the country. Wichita, every town, you're talking about heroin, methamphetamine, cocaine, the synthetic drugs that kill you. The mob oversees that and franchises it out to street gangs who actually sell it. It's an amazing turnaround, and it happened because the federal government passed a series of law called the RICO laws, where they could easily tap and surveil organized crime, so they had to change the way they operated. I never thought that the mob or the mafia in America would be handling narcotics like they do. So, I mean, are they in close connection with the cartels down at the southern border, or do they have some type of relationship? It's an excellent question you're asking. So, 
there are no Mexican cartels in America. Isn't that strange? Hmm. There are 500,000 foreign nationals since Biden became president that have come here. 500,000, a half million people. But no Mexican cartels in any of the American cities because the deal was struck between the American organized crime chieftains and the cartel chieftains that it would break down this way. Cartel would manufacture and smuggle the drugs into the United States and organized crime would take it from there. They both make billions of dollars. They don't need to fight each other. And that's the distribution pipeline. Since President Biden has, taken, has become president, since his inauguration, there are more narcotics in the United States than at any other time in history because of Biden's open border policy. In the first hundred days of the administration, we've, we've already hit that record. I mean, I guess that's a, an accomplishment, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's frightening if you really understand how dangerous these drugs are now. Yeah. So if you take fentanyl, and I want anybody, everybody listening to Andy and myself right now, if you ever get offered fentanyl and you take it, you're going to die. It depends when, not if. Yeah. You're going to die if you take that drug. And that drug is pouring in here now. With how much money that they make, I mean, is there a way to actually stop the spread of the narcotics? I mean, I know we have this quote-unquote war on drugs in America, and as we kind of loosen up marijuana laws, and as we try to deal with the narcotics in America, I mean, you're right. I mean, Wichita, Kansas, here all over the state of Kansas, all over the nation, we obviously have the problem. But, I mean, heroin's a major. Heroin and fentanyl are huge in meth yep. here in, in the mid-America region, along with gun trafficking, human trafficking, this sort of thing. It's so big. Are we able to stop it? Is the government able to fight it or they just kind of look the other way because it's kind of a too big to fail scenario? Well, you have the will to do it. And I don't see any politicians with that will. Now, Trump did an interesting thing. He um, put a border policy in place that made it very difficult to get a lot of bulk narcotics across. So he reorganized it, it worked, and then Biden disassembled it on the first day. Now, if you were to say to Joe Biden, hey, do you not understand that what you did, not only making it easier for people to come here, foreign nationals to come here, but drugs to get in here, do you understand that? I don't think Joe Biden does. I don't think he's capable of that at this point. Um, but that's no excuse certainly his party, but the Democratic Party and most of the Republican Party, they don't really care about the issue. Um, they see it as a social, societal issue, not as an, a national security issue, where I see it a little bit differently. Yeah, we're talking with Bill O'Reilly. You can find him on the first TV, also with his uh, no spin news and the O'Reilly update that he does on the radio all over the country. Let's talk about, let's go back in history a little bit. Like you mentioned before with your book, Killing the Mob, let's talk about some of the most iconic mobsters in the nation and how they kind of got their notoriety in American history. Well, in, during the Depression, as people in Kansas well know, everybody hated the banks. The banks were throwing uh, farmers off their land. They were throwing people out of their homes, foreclosing like crazy because nobody had any money. So these robbers, bank robbers, all of them evil. And the movies glamorized them, but they weren't. They rise up, and the people actually helping them escape and things like that. And they're throwing money at the folks and, and you know, like a Robin Hood thing. Yeah. But they're really bad, bad people, all of them. And what happened coming out of that was that President Roosevelt told Hoover 
the young lawyer put in charge of the FBI, you got to stop this. So here's a fascinating thing that we document in Killing the Mob. It was no hands up, come out. The young FBI went after these people and, and they assassinated them. The feds assassinated them, shot them down. Wow. So, and they all knew it. And there was a loosely organized group, Dillinger and Babyface Nelson. They knew each other and they helped each other. But once the feds caught up with them, that's where G-men came in, government men, G-men. They knew that if the FBI caught up to them, they weren't going to go to jail. They were going to go to the cemetery. Then at the same time in Chicago, Al Capone set the template for organized crime. So Capone ran that city by bribing everybody because he was making tens of millions of dollars selling bootleg alcohol during Prohibition. He had so much money that he could buy everybody, and he did. And now the Sicilians on the East Coast, Lucky Luciano was the first godfather. They saw that. They saw what happened, and they said, we can do this national. Capone's local, Chicago, we can do it all over. And they did. They accomplished it. It's amazing. We got just about 45 seconds left here, Bill O'Reilly. But do they? the big question is, do they have as much influence as what they used to. Obviously, I'm guessing it kind of faded out near the JFK era uh, sort of time. They're around still, obviously, making the narcotics money. Do they have the influence in government like they used to? No. Uh, It's too easy for the feds to track them if they try to bribe somebody. But they're making more money than they've ever made before, but they do not have that influence. They, They can't call up a Hollywood big shot and say, make this movie and put Frank Sinatra in it. They can't do that anymore. And I want to tell everybody, Andy, if you want to buy Killing the Mob, you go to BillOReilly.com and we'll give you 50% off Killing Crazy Horse, which was my Mm. um, another bestseller. And a lot that takes place in Kansas. People will love it. So that's a great deal for Mother for Father's Day. Mother's Day is gone. Father's Day, granddad. Go to BillOReilly.com. We'll give you a good deal. I love it. BillOReilly.com plus the O'Reilly update as well on radio and on the TV. Bill, it's good to talk to you, my friend. Uh, you've been a big icon in my life as well, so I appreciate that. We'd love to get you back on the show again soon. Any pleasure to talk to you. When you need me, give me a call. There it is. House Bill O'Reilly. BillOReilly.com. You can get his latest book, Killing the Mob. Great to talk to him. We'll try and get him back on the program again soon. Kind of cool that we get to chat with him, and you can hear him with his daily update here on the KQAM, air, uh, KQAM Airwaves every weekday right at noon here on the station. All right, we'll take a break. We'll wrap up the show today. Get your phone calls last few minutes. If you want to chime in at 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. We'll get your thoughts on all the issues when we come back. We'll take a look at what's going to go on next weekend. Next weekend, Memorial Weekend. Can you believe it? Uh, Summer, I guess, officially, unofficially starting uh, next weekend, kicking off into June. May flying right on by. It goes by way too fast. All that and more coming up on Candace Talk here on KQAM. Welcome back into the program. Just a few minutes before we wrap up the program here on Candace Talk here on the Big Talker KQAM. If you want to call in, 316-721-8255. Real quickly, some news from Governor Laura Kelly that she did veto another bill this week. Not a whole lot the legislature can do about it now. 
that we're kind of done and over with the legislative session, but she did veto a bill this week on short-term health insurance here in the state of Kansas. What it essentially does is the one-year term that you can renew every year, but they can renegotiate the terms of that one. doesn't really cover pre-existing conditions. Just kind of a temporary cover if you're maybe in between jobs, if you don't have insurance, if your company doesn't provide insurance, and you can purchase just that short-term. Well, the legislature passed a bill this year trying to extend that into a two- to three-year contract without having to or being able to renegotiate the terms of that and just giving people better options. It's cheap. It's low. It's for individuals that just need something in case something happens, maybe on the job or, you know, you trip and fall and you break your knee or something happens, you have some type of coverage. And that's just short-term health insurance. The governor vetoed that. Now, you can do it for a year. They wanted to extend it two to three years out. The governor vetoed that because she cares about you. She cares about the people. And she said this is her way of trying to strong-arm the Kansas citizens is by essentially saying if you're going to actually look at health care, the only thing that you're allowed to do is to expand Medicaid. Now, what the legislature did was, like we did with the Kansas Farm Bureau with their health option, not insurance, but the health option, is they came up with alternative options for you in the private market to keep prices low, to keep quality up there, and for you to have choices on what you want to do with your health care. The governor vetoed that by saying, no, you're not allowed to have a two- to three-year short-term contract with health insurance. Not allowed to do that. I don't like that. You're not allowed to do that. The only way that we're going to take care of people is through government programs like Medicaid expansion, because how dare you look at alternatives like expanding temporary insurance? They call it, quote unquote, junk insurance. My thought process is it's better than nothing, isn't it? My thought process is, do you want people? We could, This is where conservatives and Republicans need to start turning the talking points back on the other side of the aisle, because I would really love to talk to Governor Laura Kelly and say, you want people to be covered, right? You want individuals to have protection. And if they're, it's too expensive for health insurance because of the lack of competition, between the lack of interstate markets and being able to actually have insurance companies go across state lines without the lack of options in the state and without expanding Medicaid for a government-funded program that's junk quality there as well. You want to talk about junk insurance, that is junk insurance with Medicaid. You're not allowing individuals that may be lower of income, that may be uh, having issues, or that may just want to be uh, slightly protected, maybe younger individuals that need some type of coverage in case they do something stupid and they hurt themselves. You need some type of protection Governor vetoed that. Not allowed to expand that one to a two- to three-year term. That's really bad. We don't want people to be covered. We want people to go through the government to get their insurance. So if you're going to care about people, this is Governor Kelly speaking, if you're going to care about people, you have to do it through the government because we really don't care about people. That last part that I threw in by myself. All right, podcast going up in just a little bit. We're back at it next Saturday. Yes, we will be here for Memorial Weekend. Make sure to stay tuned in. It's going to be a great show. We're working on Alan Cobb. Kansas Chamber of Commerce, they're pushing Governor Kelly to end the COVID-19 unemployment benefits. 180 businesses have signed that letter that was sent to the governor, and the media had a frenzy with that one. We'll talk about that. Plus, Attorney General Derek Schmidt will have on the program next week as well, talking about some legal issues here in the state of Kansas. Until then, make sure to tune in for The Voice Reason weekdays at 4 p.m. This is Kansas Talk. I'm Andy Hoosier. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. Your home for Wind Surge Baseball all season long. Wind Surge Baseball on KGSO all season long is brought to you in part by Buckley Roofing, eGraphics, Trailers and More, Artland Bicycle, and Midwest Kia. When it's Wichita Wind Surge Baseball, you know that it's Sports Radio KGSO. Peanuts, popcorn, and every crack of the bat.
Catch it all on Wichita's leader in sports. 1410 AM, 93.9 FM, KGSO.